broadcasting live from Zepho, then backtracking across Zepho, then forwards across Zepho again, then accidentally sliding down into the ice caves and having to fight your way back up, then getting killed by that stupid ram thing right before you reach the ship, and then getting kicked all the way back to the other side of the map. This is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. And I am Garrett Strother. And we actually have, to talk Star Wars with us here once again, our first third-time guest. He was already our first second-time guest, but here he is, back again. Triples are best, triples are safe. <laughs> Rocky Kari, how are you doing, man? It's a pleasure to have you hey. on. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm honored to be the first, second, and the first third guest. And uh, yeah, I guess uh, I guess I just can't get away from you guys, but let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited to talk lots and lots of Star Wars with you both today. But why don't we run into the news real quick before we get on there? A nice quick news segment here, starting off with the announcement and teaser trailer for Godzilla X-Kong colon the new empire which will be coming out march 15th 2024 rocky i don't know i've never talked monster verse with you i don't think so are you up on all the kong godzilla nonsense i actually had no idea this was a thing until i saw the itinerary for the podcast i saw that and i was like what i have actually only seen the 2014 godzilla which I thought was pretty good, not, like, great, but I did like it. I just haven't watched anything else, but I do, like, I did like it, so, like, I just need to get back into it. I just have not seen everything else. Yeah, I think the farther you get into that franchise, it gets more fun to watch, at least, in my opinion, compared to the 2014 one. I feel like once they start doing more Kong stuff, then it gets more enjoyable. Obviously, me and Garrett are both big fans of the King Kong Skull Island standalone movie, and I didn't hate Godzilla vs. Kong and, and all that stuff, so I, I'll... Definitely go see this. I like watching big monsters break buildings. You know, that's it's pretty much what I'm paying for. I'm interested to see where this one goes, because I think, Seamus, you were much more forgiving of Godzilla vs. <laughs> Kong than I was. And I think part of that, and I don't want to speak for you, is probably coming out of... That was like one of the first movies to hit HBO Max during the oh, pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like there were maybe some rose-tinted glasses there with just... Big budget spectacle for the first time in seven months on your screen. You're not wrong. I mean, that that was, I'm sure, a factor in my enjoyment of everything. But I saw Godzilla King of Monsters in IMAX, and that was a, a treat, even if that movie was, you know, just fine to good. I just want to get my eardrums blasted off by that Godzilla roar, you know? But Rocky, I think you yeah. should catch up a little bit. I I am I'm a bigger fan of the franchise looking back on it than I thought I would be. Like I said, it's big budget spectacle and I like big monster fights, but I think you would get a kick out of it if you if you even just thought the 2014 one was fun. Yeah, yeah, like like you said, like I love like the big budget spectacle like that. So like I feel like they're movies that I would enjoy. I just like really never got around to them. But because you said that, I'll uh, I'll I'll take a chance on them. But moving on to our next piece of news what? Oh, that's a different noise than usual? Maybe one we've only heard once before? Is that a Netflix nuisance? Oh my Man. goodness, God! Ah. Oh, unusual. Unusual and strange. I don't like it. And just after their, their Netflix niceness, Seamus, just, I just know. a few weeks uh. ago. They had something going, but now they're, they're backtracking hard with the service blocking on devices that share passwords are starting to 
have a more major rollout in in the rest of the world coming up soon. And I think the one time that that will happen to me where I get kicked off my shared Netflix, I don't think I'll ever have the (laughs) real desire to go get it back, you know? I understand completely that inclination because... I personally feel like there are fewer and fewer things to watch on Netflix, and really the only time I pay attention to it is when a new season of a Netflix original that I watch Mm. is hitting, and that's, you know, beyond Stranger Things, I don't even know if there is one anymore for me. Rocky, do you watch a lot of Netflix content? Not really, honestly. Like, um, similar to you, Garrett, where I'll only watch, like, stuff, like, if it shows that, like, I, I, like, either a friend recommended or, like, it's something that I'm, like, I've been watching season by season. What does it mean for, like, families? Like, because me and my family share. I think the details of it are, it's, like, whatever specific Netflix account will recheck the IP address of your Wi-Fi or something of that sort, so... Every month, you'll have to, whatever device you're using, you'll have to go to whatever home Wi-Fi is associated with the account and re-log in. They're intentionally being cagey about this new rollout because when they initially announced that they were cracking down on password sharing, that was exactly what they laid out. Then they walked it back and they were like, actually, we're not, sorry, we we were mistaken, we're not doing it that way. But now, then in the last week or so, they've announced again, much more vaguely, that, you know, we're going to start cracking down on password sharing again if it's not your proper account. So basically, to answer your question, Rocky, I don't think that they have a plan for families. And that was what the big outrage was that caused them to walk it back. Like you, Rocky, I share an account with my family. I, I, I don't think they're watching much Netflix content. I haven't been personally impressed by Netflix original stuff in quite a while since like BoJack ended and I dropped off of Stranger Things and I'm out, I think. I'm, I'm out of here as soon as they hit me with the, with the re-login. The new season of I Think You Should Leave drops at the end of oh, May. Oh, damn it. All right, well, <laughs> oh that, my God. I forgot about the sweet beautiful diamond that is i think you should leave but then the other one two punch of this netflix nuisance is that netflix starting september 29th will have discontinued their disc by mail service so no more dvds and blu-rays from netflix like we all (laughs) definitely still have and subscribe to we all definitely knew they still did that right guys like i I, we totally (laughs) knew that Yeah, I had no clue they still did that, but that's so sad. I agree. I think that it is a big blow for physical media, especially because there are so many movies and TV shows that still aren't streaming and are difficult to find and out of print. I mean, I watched shows that are still difficult to find from before the streaming era that a lot of them are not released. Like, early edition has never been streaming, but I watched that back on disc Netflix 10 to 15 years ago however long ago that was Dang. it's a shame to see even though i don't personally subscribe to it such a robust resource for hard to find series and film to just disappear like that damn i remember when blockbuster closed and you could walk in and buy like a yes! season of monk for a dollar <laughs> oh the best <laughs> when our local blockbuster closed me and my brother, we got Yes Man, Dinner for Schmucks, The Rocker, Ooh, yeah. and like two other stupid comedies, all for like, I think each one was like a dollar. We were like, 
We were like a little large. Those are yeah. very end of blockbuster movies <laughs> to get, I think. Yeah, you know I've got my Blu-ray of semi-pro, Will Ferrell's semi-pro yes. on the shelf in it's a Blu-ray in a DVD yes. case for sure. Realistically, they're probably all going to the landfill, Seamus. I think you're right. It would be nice if they sold them off. But yeah, I think that wraps us up for our news segment now for the first half of our Star Wars extravaganza that we've got going on here. It's time to move on over to our main segment and talk Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Let's do it, cow pals. For today's main segment, we're going to be talking about the Star Wars video game Jedi Fallen Order. Rocky, we're going to start with like a nice pre-spoiler general thoughts on the game before we move into more story specifics and gameplay specifics. But what is your experience with Fallen Order? When did you play it? What's your general opinion on it? I think nothing in my life will beat my Star Wars craze from November 2019 to January 2020. We had Rise of Skywalker coming out. A Mandalorian had just come out. Disney Plus had just dropped, so I was watching Clone Wars from beginning to end, and this little game that no one's ever heard about called Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order (laughs) came out. I think it was that November, and me and my brother got it, and my brother, he uh, is, like, way more, like, chill when it comes to video games. Like, he'll only, like, play, like, a few, and, like, even when it is, it's only really, like, story games he plays, and, like, usually only plays them with me. And this game, he was like, dude, you know, I don't really feel like playing it, but I love Star Wars. Can I just watch you play it? I was like... Hell yeah, you can watch me play it. So, um, unfortunately, he was only able to watch, like, the first half because then um, he was working. So, like, it was kind of difficult for us to, like, meet up to, like, play it. It was such a blast. I really, really, really liked Jedi Fallen Order. I don't love it because there are definitely some faults with the game. I'm a huge action RPG fan. Um, I love the Kingdom Hearts games. And uh, I, because of, like, how much I've played those games and, like, I've played them all, like, oh, yeah, oh yeah, Rocky, you flexed. I played them all on, like, the <laughs> hardest uh, difficulty. So, like, I really like action RPG in the genre. So there was definitely some complaints I have with the game, like, in terms of, like, Seamus said in the broadcasting from section, there's just so much backtracking you have to do, the map is so hard to read, but the actual, like, sword, like, lightsaber fighting, I was gonna say sword fighting, but, like, you know what I mean, like, the lightsaber (laughs) fighting is incredible, the bosses are super cool, Cal is such a likable character, and, like, the whole, like, Metroidvania style of you slowly getting your powers back is so exciting, The team is really cool. There's just so much to love about the game, and it sets such a good base that gets me so, so excited for what they could do for the sequel. So it ended, and I was immediately like, I am ready for the sequel. I think that they could really improve on this. And we'll we'll talk about Jedi Survivor later, but oh man, oh man, it seems like they're really stepping it up and improving on what they had, which I'm really happy about because... Jedi Fallen Order is a really good game, but there's definitely room for improvement. I agree that it's a game that I have quite an affinity for, definitely helped along by the fact that it is a Star Wars game, and it's really good at adapting lots of different eras of Star Wars into a cohesive aesthetic, which I really appreciate, but it certainly does have its flaws. 
I actually went to Star Wars Celebration in 2019. Rocky, I know you and I have definitely talked about that before. Oh, yeah! Dude, oh, so jealous. So I was there at the panel when they unveiled the trailer and basically the first look at the game in its entirety. Cameron Monaghan was there, which was pretty cool. It was a really exciting experience, but that was also back before I had any kind of current gaming system. So I didn't have a PS4 or an Xbox One or anything like that. So, flash forward to November 2020, PS5 drops, and I've still not, you know, Fallen Order's been out for a year, I still haven't played it, I've gotten some minor spoilers, so I was lucky enough to get a PS5 right after it came out, and the first game I bought, other than Spider-Man, was Fallen Order, because I had been hyped up about it for so long. I gotta say, back... When I first played it, I was pretty underwhelmed and was like, I probably would not finish this if it wasn't a Star Wars game. Because when I first played it, it was so buggy. It was so ridiculously buggy. And I enjoyed the gameplay, but I had a lot of problems with it. Definitely backtracking is a big problem. And then especially when you're compounding that with dying or losing health because of a glitch and not because of actual skill that can be super frustrating but i went back and played the bulk of the story this last couple weeks in preparation for this episode and now that they have gone in and patched everything so that the game actually plays (laughs) um i gotta say i like it so much more this time around again definitely has its flaws but I was able to appreciate a lot more of the story and a lot more of the gameplay than I was the first time around. Yeah, my experience, I got it for Christmas that December that that came out, and I had really avoided a lot about it, and then I just sat down for three days straight and 100% <laughs> marathoned it until I got the Platinum Trophy on my PS4. It was still in the era of my dying PS4 where it was like, a rocket ship fan every time I popped that game in. So I got my fair share of glitches too. I don't know how much of that was just my creaking PS4, but I loved every damn second of it. I thought the combat was so rewarding feeling and, you know, finally getting the rhythm down of things on how to work with the bigger enemies and use the powers you're accumulating and all that. I, I just absolutely loved it. I cannot agree enough about the backtracking problems and the, you know, no fast travel options and exploration is a lot of fun. Obviously, climbing around, figuring out the angles on how to jump from one pipe to another area on a rotating fan to get through to get a chest. I I, I liked a lot of that kind of figure-it-out adventure game elements there. And I also agree with you, Garrett, that maybe the, the PS5 ultimate version of it, super patched and upgraded and all the resolution and frame rate in the world, it, it is one of like the best-looking games on the PS5 to me still. And I'm so excited for the new one. I, I cannot wait for all of the upgrades that are going to come with it. I really do like the exploration part. I agree with you about that, Seamus, where it is really satisfying to even revisit a planet that you've already been to and be like, oh, now that I have this power, I can go to this place that I didn't even think I could access. Yes. But Rocky, you mentioned how difficult the stupid hollow map is to read. Oh Oh my my god. God. Seriously. (laughs) It blew my mind that that was a 
first party, incredibly triple A Star Wars games map. It was driving me crazy. Yeah, I could not do it. I haven't seen the gameplay of this specifically, but I have read that the map is going to be improved for the sequel. (laughs) I read that and I was like, yeah, of course it's going to be. Yeah, better be. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Nothing we've said is breaking news by any means. I feel like the problems with that first game are so well documented and so talked about and so obvious that I have a very solid amount of faith that the sequel will be able to come through and fix those problems, address those problems. I mean, even something as simple as, hey, what if we gave you, like, a hundred million chests to find, and the only cosmetic item that actually really impacts you in any way is 30 ponchos. That's it. That's the only thing. (laughs) Because I don't know about you, and I don't want to get... I think we should probably call spoilers pretty soon, because it'll free us up to just jump around more. But... I don't know about you guys, but the only cosmetic items I really change out are the lightsaber and the ponchos, because the Mantis I never look at, and BD1, I do not think that there is a paint job that looks better than the OG paint job. I like to switch around. Well, really, I would find one BD1 skin, and then just that was what he was from then on, and I'd yes, collect same the rest with, of them. Same with Seamus, yeah. It's funny because... You change your lightsaber. I got so into, like, changing the lightsaber to look as cool as I wanted it to be. And it's funny because it's, like, flipping around all the time in battle. You're never (laughs) really seeing it, right? I do like it when, if you choose not to wear a poncho and you hang it from your belt, you at least get to look at it a little bit more. True, Mm. true. But really, yeah, I hope that they find a way. I don't know how they would do this. I do hope that they find a way so that I get to look at my lightsaber a little bit more. But I think let's go ahead. I mean, we've talked about cosmetics, and I think our general thoughts on the game are pretty clear. This is, what, probably a 25-hour game, so and then even more if you actually complete it like Seamus the Madman over here did. So (laughs) I want us to be able to jump around and really hit the highlights and also the, the lowlights of this game, so... I think we just go ahead, call official spoiler warning for Jedi Fallen Order. I like the story of this game a lot. I I feel like my only wish for the sequel is maybe a little more, how to say this? I don't want like urban environments. I like the more industrial parts of things. There's a lot of wilderness travel in this, a lot of in the deep depths of those damn ice caves and all the other caves that you have to wander around into. And it was all, you know, there are beautiful environments on all these planets. I especially liked... A lot of what Kashyyyk had to offer in in that I, I was I was enjoying how everything looked, but yes, I like the village. I like the parts of the imperial settlements that are a little more structured than just like running through the woods, running through the swamps, that kind of thing. Rocky, do you have a favorite planet that we visit in this game? Ooh, okay, that's a good question. You can come back to that. You can think on it and come back with an answer in a minute. Yeah, let me think about it. I'll get back to you on that. I don't even know if I have one, to be honest, but Seamus, do you have one? I did mention just now Kashyyyk because there are a lot more of those, like, industrial areas in that that complement the more green stuff in the woods. I hate mm-hmm. those damn spiders, I'm going to be honest. Those things <laughs> destroy me every time, but I do get satisfaction Walking out into that one, you know the one part I'm talking about where there's just a battalion of stormtroopers that get ambushed by the spiders every time you walk through the area. (laughs) I I do enjoy that. That's probably one of the more fun things about Kashyyyk to me is that you can just sit back and let the fauna take care (laughs) of your enemies a lot of the time. 
I know for certain my least favorite planet, and that is Dothamir, which... It's so complicated. It's crazy. It's a maze. The enemies (laughs) are so much harder than any other... And, you know, I'm fine with there being, obviously, difficulty variation, you know, but it's just so punishing, and I think it's the place where the shortcomings of the gameplay shine through the most... Which is especially frustrating because I, jumping from gameplay to story for a second, am fine with the story. I think it's pretty bare bones. My biggest problem with it, actually, is that the gameplay sections feel so staunchly removed from the actual story. Mostly Mm. because you are at almost no point actually in gameplay with the characters that you're supposed to be going on an adventure on. This is something we talked about in our God of War episode. Because of the ship. Yeah, they hang out on the ship, and something that works really well in something like God of War or Uncharted, other AAA third-person action-adventure titles where you're supposed to be going on a journey with these characters and get really invested in them, is they're in combat, in danger, on the journey with you. Every time you get to a new locale in Fallen Order... Grease and Sierra just like, okay, buddy, we'll see you when you get back for no... Like, sometimes they're like, we have to stay with the Mantis and keep decoding Imperial signals or whatever, but sometimes there's literally just no reason. Yeah, like, why why is it just me, guys? Come on. Exactly. And I think that, like, Dothamir (laughs) is the one place where you get that pleasure of fighting with Marin. Like, Marin is there to help you out. You get to know her in an environment that's not standing directly outside the Mantis with a push R3 to talk button. I think Marin also is one of the more interesting characters. I like Grease. Greasy money, baby. You know, he's <laughs> funny. But Seer, I think, is kind of a boring character who's underdeveloped in that her only development or personality is tied directly to her tragic backstory. Like, Grease is a real personality, but I think Marin has the most dimensionality of any of the NPC, other than BD-1, I guess, if you want to get technical. But <laughs> You get BD-1 along with you, and you yeah. really develop that relationship, but it is, <laughs> it's beeps, you know? I, I, he's, a, he's an adorable little chicken robot, but he does only <laughs> just beep. Uh-huh. And Marin, you only get at the end, really, because she's an antagonist yeah. deciding on how you play, which is something I like, is that you kind of choose how to go through the story a little bit and which planets to prioritize, and they write that really well. But Marin, yep. you only really get to be part of the team, and then immediately you go to Fortress Inquisitorius, and it's the end of the game. Yeah, yeah, that that's the one problem I had with the game, too, because, like, she's so interesting, and there's so much you could do with her, but, like, she's not utilized well, but... I'm going to sound like a broken record. The sequel, like, that's where it, like, yeah. you know, we, we, we're going to have more time with Marin. So I have never seen something like this where, like, almost every flaw I have with the game can be remedied by the sequel, you know? Like, not to say that it will make this game better. There's just room to grow, I should say. I hate to say this because it's putting a lot of pressure on Survivor, but I am kind of looking at it as Fallen Order 2.0. What if, Fallen, what if all the <laughs> issues I had with Fallen Order were better and I could just unabashedly enjoy this style of game and these characters more. For sure. I agree, Rocky, that it's the first time that I've ever thought, I really like this. Pedro Pascal in Wonder Woman. <laughs> in you know, Wonder Woman. Is good, but it can be better. <laughs> it can be better. Exactly. Uh, 
I have nothing but hype for this next game. I, I am putting all the pressure on this next game. I, I don't even care. I think, Garrett, I think I know the answer for you, but do either of you have any real affinity for the Soulsborne style of games outside of Jedi Fallen Order? So I have played Dark Souls 1. Very difficult. Very much enjoyed it, though. And then I played Elden Ring fairly recently. The last, like, few months uh, I played it. Absolutely loved it. I thought it was a blast very difficult at times but like very mm. rewarding and one of my best friends from high school he was super into the game he played it like months before i did so it was so awesome texting him after like a big boss and like getting his take on it and stuff so i loved elden ring but yeah elden ring and dark souls are the ones i've dark played souls. but Seamus, i know why you're saying that because so many times when i play those games i'd be like oh this reminds me of jedi fallen order and i was like ah i see what's going on here oh yeah and i've only ever played bloodborne all the way through. I've tried out a few okay. of the other ones, but I know those games are like supremely in the camp of like gameplay over understandable linear lore, any kind of real plot to follow. I feel like I get lost in it almost immediately where I'm just focusing on the next objective. And Jedi Whoa, Fallen dude. Order to me, it's... Well, I mean, I guess I've never played Elden Ring. You might be about to jump in no, there. No, no, no. I completely agree with what you're saying, and it's crazy because I finished Elden Ring. I'm like, okay, I don't know what just happened. And um, <laughs> yeah, then, exactly. um, my friend who I was telling about, uh, his name is Jay. Jay sends me this video, and it's like 30 minutes, and it's like Elden Ring Explained. And it's <laughs> like the lore goes so deep, and it's like every boss has this like insane backstory that you have to read this random piece of armor <laughs> yeah. that's like in a cave across the map to understand this character's backstory. It's like, who finds this material? <laughs> but it's so exciting when you like learn it all, you know, but just different way to tell the story, I guess. Definitely. I know there are chapters and chapters of lore in those games that I, I pretty <laughs> much actively ignore because I'm so stressed about dying. But I think Jedi Fallen Order is like the evolution of that, where it's like there's more story to actually be injected into what you're doing. And then yes. right on back to Jedi Survivor is going to, I hopefully, I'm praying to the Force here, have even more of that to be integrated into the actual gameplay. Totally. Like, as somebody who likes to have fun when I play a video game... Uh, <laughs> you don't Souls like to assault yourself. <laughs> the Soulsborne <laughs> games do not appeal to me in any way. I've said this on this show multiple times. Seamus definitely knows that about me, whether or not mm. I've said it on air. I do really appreciate Fallen Order. It gets a lot of flack for just being a Soulsborne game, but I'm like, it's fun for me to take that style of gameplay and put it in a package that I am actually interested in. So I get to experience exactly. this whole genre of game that I would never engage with if it weren't for this. And obviously, it also owes a lot to Uncharted and Tomb Raider and mm. God of War, like we mentioned before. But at its core, it seems to be a Soulsborne game. And I feel fortunate that the normie that I am who doesn't like to have a Bible <laughs> next to me as I'm, as I'm playing gets a to experience Bible. it. A Bible, oh my god. I, as, Garrett, as if you don't have to have a Wikipedia tab open to be like, all right, I'm pretty sure that's a I'm reference Wikipedia, to something. I'm Wikipedia, baby. It's already in my stupid brain. <laughs> yeah, I love you, Garrett. True, that's true. I, I'm with Garrett on that. <laughs> that's awesome. Also, Garrett, you're going to hate me. My favorite planet, I think, is actually Tathomir. Oh, please hit me, Rocky. Talk <laughs> to me about that. The, the reason I like it is because, uh, have you guys played Knights of the Old Republic? Oh, yes, I have, Rocky. Oh, yes, I have. <laughs> 
Garrett, I'm assuming you've played it. That's my one failing as a Star Wars geek, is I have really no exposure <laughs> to Knights of the Old Republic. Oh, okay, gotcha. Well, uh, like, as other people have said, I highly recommend it. But there's this one, I won't give it away then, but there's a planet that's, like, on the dark side aspect. It was just so exciting, like, exploring that. I just feel like because we don't really get that in the movies and, like, very rarely in the shows, where you see, like, these, like dark areas like i know that we had episodes in the clone wars that did take place on dathomir but Mm. like it's not a lot of episodes getting to actually explore that and just like just the vibe of it garrett like you said like the enemies being really tough like i actually thought that was really cool because like it made sense that the planet that's really in the dark side would have like crazy planets you know so um i thought that was cool Totally, that makes sense. And I I agree with it canonically. I have no real hypothetical issues with it. It's more the execution that rubs up against my particular play style. I totally see where you're coming from. Two gameplay things I just wanted to mention that I was like, there were WTF moments where I was, what? Like, I was audibly, like, freaking out. When you get the dual bladed lightsaber i love how nonchalant it is like uh have you guys played breath of the wild i have not never played a zelda game i've got some history with like uh ocarina of time back when i had an n64 and i i played phantom hourglass on my ds Lite ages ago oh okay gotcha okay i'm a really big zelda fan and um a lot of times in the games the master sword right is link's like go-to weapon Mm -hmm. it's always like a really big deal when you get it it's like the main weapon right so like there's usually a lot of lore that goes with it and stuff and breath of the wild does this really cool thing where you'll go to this area and you'll be like oh i'm probably just gonna find a regular like chest or something or maybe a cave with the treasure or whatever and you go and it's the master sword and you're just like what like this crazy gameplay thing is here and like you could beat the game without ever finding it and i'm like that is so cool and that's how i felt when i got the dual bladed lightsaber because i didn't know it was in the game i'm just like oh a table and he he does it and i was like what i can do this that was so hype for me and um the second thing which i unfortunately got spoiled about was the colors like changing the lightsaber colors i was like oh you could probably change it to everything and then i saw blue and green and i was like oh okay whatever but then i had seen pictures of him with purple and like crazy like orange and whatever so i was like oh i'm guessing later or maybe post game you'll get to change it so when i still got to it i was like dang this is awesome that's one of the real standout moments in the game for me from both a gameplay and a story perspective is when you're on ilum and you get not only the new lightsaber by joining to Paul and Seer, your two masters hilts yes. together, but also you get BD1's backstory. So in a way, you're kind of combining all of your mentors into one because you know Cordova, who's been your narrator this whole time from BD1's databanks. That's the last you see of him. And I think that's a really satisfying moment as well. I mean, I don't really care so much about like BD1's backstory per se, but having this moment of, hey, here's this gameplay mechanic that you've been doing for a dozen hours or whatever at this point. We're tying that up and we're giving you this entirely new combat mechanic with your lightsaber that also is resonant from a story perspective. I think it's very satisfying and then that really great musical cue kicks in as you just fight waves and waves and waves of scout troopers. Oh yeah! Oh my god, that was so hype. Truly incredible, yeah, I loved all of that. The other standout moment for me in this game, Rocky, the same kind of response that you had is, I can't believe I'm getting to do this right now. 
when you land on Kashyyyk and you swim and climb up the AT-AT. Yeah, dude. Yes! Random partaking in a terrorist takeover of an Imperial prison. I loved it. And plus, that was awesome. we get our boy, Saw Guerrero, Forrest <laughs> Whitaker, yet again. I love to see him. Dude, that part of the game I played with my brother watching, and my brother makes so many, so many boar gullet jokes. Or gullet from uh, Rogue One, the monster uh-huh. that uh, that Saw has, <laughs> and so he sees Saw and my brother just loses it. He just starts dying of laughter, and he's like, "Poor gullet, where's poor gullet?" It was so funny in the game. Remember, they tell you to go find Tarful, mm-hmm. the Wookie. I'm like, "Oh, okay." And my brother goes, "Bro, Tarful," and I'm like, "Shut up, dude! Like, you're lying." Like, my brother will like jokingly say that. He's like, "Dude, no Tarful. Like, he's in Revenge of the Sith." I'm like, what are you talking about? And he literally pulls up Disney Plus and he shows me the scene. He's like, dude, Yoda even says goodbye, Tarful. And I was like, damn, what a deep, what a deep cut. That passed over my head when I first played it for sure. I had to, I had yeah. to run into that again when I was looking into it. This is going to be the stupidest on-brand thing I've ever said on the show. I think there could be some deeper cuts. <laughs> and I'm not, Seamus knows this very well. I am not super, like, everything in Star Wars needs to be more connected. I think Star Wars needs to be generally less connected. But the fact that you get Saw showing up and then having none of Saw's established partisans there with him, I think, is a little weird throughout Rogue One and Andor, and I think even on the Bad Batch a little bit, he has kind of an established crew that he works with. He's got two tubes and whatever. Yeah, I, I was missing two tubes. He is my favorite side character at this point in the Star Wars universe. Even more than that one alien pilot in Poe Dameron's x squadron <laughs> that you like. Yeah, you know, I love that guy, and I, swear to, I swore to myself I would remember the name of that alien race, but I have not to this day i i love me some two tubes saw is in this game just enough and i think his characterization is really solid oh yeah like i alluded to earlier on kashik especially at tying all of these different eras of star wars into one thing that feels yes really cohesive can you go into more detail about what you mean by like combining eras so it's really good at taking original trilogy and prequel stuff and fusing them and making them feel really similar and like coexisting at the same point because i think that's a problem that more than anything else really those two parts of the franchise have some dissonance because at the end of episode three they just decide that everybody's in their episode four starting positions and nothing else happened between them and then obviously now we've gone back and we've added in all of this flavor and rogue one and solo and obi-wan kenobi and, and all the comics and all the books and everything else and really flesh that out and i think fallen order has great moments where the very idea that you're an imperial scrapper decommissioning clone wars vessels Ah. makes that feel so lived in because something that fallen order has done that other like bad batch especially has done well is taking the fact that when we get the original trilogy they're not talking a ton about the clone wars or like these big earth-shattering events and everybody's like the Jedi, they've been gone forever. Like, what's going on? Even though, you know, it was 20 years ago that the Jedi got wiped out. Yeah. You see this 
very conscious, widespread movement by the Empire of striking everything from the record. Like, the Empire has always been and always will be. What is it in the stupid Rise of Skywalker, the the Eternal Empire? Or... The, they final, the Final the Order. The Final Order, Oh, yes. yeah, Jesus. It's really good at showing how the universe could change so much in such yep. a short amount of time, and it comes in at, like, the perfect spot. And that's another reason I'm excited for Survivor is it's another five-year time jump from the end of Fallen Order to Survivor. So getting to see the universe even further along in that devolution is going to be really exciting, I think. I totally get what you mean now about, like, the the bridging the gap. Like, even what I was saying earlier about, like, the Dathomir being in a few episodes of Clone Wars and, like, showing it in that time frame is so sick. Survivor's gonna be insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm so so hyped for it. I want more prequel stuff. You know, my dumb prequel mind loved exploring the Star Cruiser with all the clone helmets in it. And even having a secret boss be or an optional boss be in like the depths of a crashed Clone Wars era Ventaner cruiser. I, I loved it. I loved the it all. First time I played through the game. I did not ever, go, because you have to unlock something else to go back to explore that Crash Vanitor. Oh, you and didn't go back? I didn't go back. because I, I didn't go it, back either. It was so buggy Wh- and boys. so, like, oh. so then just now, over the last week or so, Breeze was like, hey, we should go check that ship out. There was a Crash ship, right? Back on, back on Zepho. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess there was a Crash ship on Zepho <laughs> that I never did anything with, even though it was in all of the teaser posters and stuff. I thought there was more important stuff in that direction that loops you back through it, but maybe I no, am it, just a scavenger in those kinds of games and I didn't leave <laughs> any stone unturned. No, you have to go over there to get, like, something, but it's not so... You, you basically can go back to the ship. You don't, You can just progress through the story without taking the the million years long ice slide <laughs> down to the depths <laughs> plus it has one of my very favorite things if if you guys don't mind transitioning the gameplay a little bit even the mini boss purge troopers or the mini boss bounty hunters yep. sometimes you can just one shot kill them if you just knock them into the right electrical thing or you force, <laughs> oh or yeah you force push them off the side of a cliff they're just donezo that's it there's no <laughs> stupid gimmicks to bring them back and i think that is so satisfying when you're like oh no there's a purge trooper and then you just push them off the edge and no never mind you're fine that's that good. is how i played the entire game if there's an <laughs> edge if there's a platform i'm luring the fight towards it <laughs> so i could just massively push everybody off that's funny there's so many wonderful little moments in both traversal and when you naturally unlock your powers and you have a moment of realization of, oh, I can do this now. I remember the first time that there was a puzzle that required me to swing on one of the electrical cords because you've been using the vines to swing and you've been using the electrical cords the whole game. And then all of a sudden there's a puzzle that gets you to do both. That is such a great galaxy brain moment. Hell yeah. From the very little I know about Survivor, because I only watched the trailer once because I didn't want to, I didn't want to spoil too much for me. Nice. But like, the addition of, like, a blaster and, like, a, a, the addition of all these extra toys that he's going to have to work with, all these tools. There's going to be so much more opportunity for those galaxy brain moments when everything in your arsenal really comes together for that. Because you really only expand your force powers as that kind of branch of RPG skill branch thing. And you, you obviously, you unlock the double saber I don't want to spoil it, but, like, you saw, like, the lightsaber forms, right, in the game? Yes, yeah. 
So you saw the the cross guard one. Wild. I saw that and I was like, oh, that's cool. But I was like, how can you make that different from the single lightsaber? And apparently it's going to be like slower, but stronger, almost like a like a great sword, like an RPG. I read that and I was like, sign me up. Where is my cross guard lightsaber right now? Because <laughs> That's going to be your primary form in the game. In RPGs like that, I usually don't do magic. I do like a tanky like, fighter character, like when I do like, oh, yeah. fantasy games. Plus, true, true. you guys are High Republic guys, and it looks like we're getting some High Republic stuff in this new oh, game. Yeah, baby. dude. I'm kind of floored by that, if I'm being honest. And I mean, I, I'm nothing but grateful that it's it's folded into something even larger within more of the prime timeline here. I'm so curious to see how that's going to go. The High Republic has such different Jedi mentalities and abilities and technology that I'm hoping it really opens up your connection with the force like how that is such a big thing in the high republic i mean we get a little bit of that with his like force echo his memories unlocking powers more or less so maybe that is that'll get expanded upon with the lens of what the high republic jedis have to say about it speaking of the MacGuffin of it all i was gonna ask your thoughts on the ending the destruction of the holocron in general how that kind of wraps up with their realizations at the end. I love the Jedi that go above and beyond. They're not just Jedi. Like, they are heroes. You know, like, yeah, Luke Skywalker, Ahsoka Tano. Also, I would say Cal Kestis. The fact that he destroys it at the end, just what a hero, man. I was like, that is what a hero would do. I, I loved it. I, yeah, I just really loved his character. I'm really excited to see, like, where he goes. Because, like, like you said, Garrett, it's going to be five years after the first one. So, like... A lot of uh, change is going to be in it, but I love that ending. Uh, What about you guys? Well, I think it certainly helps with the problem that I have with a lot of Star Wars media, which is the more Jedi that they (laughs) had that survived Order 66, I think the more it weakens not only the original trilogy, but also other Star Wars side stories where you're like, isn't there a Jedi around somewhere that could probably be helping with this? I'm very curious to see where they are in Survivor, because this idea that Cal is actively choosing to not get involved in any kind of rebuilding of the Order quells a little bit of those concerns for me, not entirely. Because I'm still like, Cal, where you know they're building a Death Star. You were on Ilum, you saw him mining the Kyber, <laughs> you know, I think you would probably be investigating that. You also saw Darth Vader and Fortress Inquisitorius, which is right in the Mustafar system, like, you know, I feel like there are bigger problems, Cal, that you're not addressing here. <laughs> and that holocron ending while being a satisfying thematic conclusion to the story that Cal has gone on over the course of the game addresses some of my issues with its place in the larger Star Wars canon in a way that it doesn't necessarily need to, but I am grateful that it does. I definitely agree with that. I I was expecting a big old cliffhanger setup of like, all right, gang, now we're going to go and do find all the kids and do Jedi Daycare the game next time around. But leaving it as open-ended as they did has gotten me more excited for Jedi Survivor, even though I'm I'm already excited for it. I don't even know anything plot-wise. Yeah, it, it satisfied me that they wrapped it up with the destruction of it, and I hope that it's not a similar MacGuffin-esque wild goose chase for the, for the sequel here. I hope they have a little bit more of a tangible goal instead of, like, the promise of a goal. I gotta say, if Cal dies, that would be... Pretty, pretty primo, as far as I'm concerned. I don't want him to die, obviously. I love him. He's a good character. But I think if they if they can give him, like, a satisfying conclusion, 
And maybe he taught Marin enough force powers that she could come. Because Seer's definitely dead. There's no way Seer's not dead next game. <laughs> you think so? Yeah, like, maybe. You're going to go see Seer at the beginning of the game, and she's going to be like, Cal, what trouble have you gotten into this time, Cal? You, cra- you crazy adventurer, you. And then the big bad of the game is going to show up and put a lightsaber through her back like she's Phil Coulson. And... <laughs> oh, no. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, God. I'm pretty sure Grease is safe, at least. I feel like he, he's got to be oh, like yeah. the funny guy who's then sad when Seer dies and rallies everybody a little bit as the crew of his ship. Grease, I need more Grease in Survivor. That's <laughs> yeah. my official stance on Survivor. I think yeah. because of how likable he is, I think he's got plot armor, so we're good. Yeah. Thank God, thank God. Yeah. I, I need Grease to run in with Kumail Nanjiani's character from Kenobi <laughs> to be like, oh, this guy, we used to run scams together. That would and... be perfect. That's our big thing from Obi-Wan Kenobi that we've been saying since Obi-Wan Kenobi, Rocky, is that we really want Kumail in Survivor. That's Really? Oh, yeah. I've never heard anyone say that. That's, that would be pretty sick. You saying that just reminded me, like, damn, like, in these last four years since the first game came out, they have so many characters and, like, stuff that they could bring in. Like, we could even see, like, Mando stuff in this, you know? Like, totally. um, oh, man. Dude, I really hope we have Mandalorians in this game. Like, that's that would be so That cool, could be interesting. We'll We're not quite to Mando yet, but I think we should wrap up our main segment here, move on to our pop culture reference, Rocky, which you have prepped for us, and then... After that, we'll be back with more Star Wars to talk about Mando and its place in the Star Wars universe, which I think is kind of at odds with what we just discussed (laughs) with Fallen Order. So, you guys ready to move on? Oh, yeah. Today's pop culture reference is actually a pop culture rocky? Can we say that, maybe? We, We have our special guest, Rocky, today, and he's actually prepped something for us that he's been keeping under a little bit of wraps, and he he's gonna lay it down for us right now. So, Rocky, what do you got for us this week? My thing is related to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So, when I was little, I was a huge fan of the Ninja Turtles. Shout out Raphael. He's always been my favorite ever since I was young. Recently, I went to this one arcade bar with some friends, and they had the TMNT arcade game, which was so cool. And after that, I was just, like, reading about the Ninja Turtles, like, just for fun. And I read about the two creators. Their names are Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. They both created the Turtles in the 80s. And as the brand was growing, they started to grow apart. They would have arguments about like where the brand should go. And they'd split up. They would do their own things in the Turtles universe. But they never really talked and were very at odds with each other. But then in 2020, they were like, hey, we reconnected and we're coming back together to do a TMNT comic. And this comic is called The Last Ronin, which came out in 2020. I read it recently and it was incredible. Like it is such a solid story it's very like cyberpunky but also got a lot of heart that ninja turtles brotherly heart that people love about the brand basically what i'll I'll say like the quote-unquote like log line of it is essentially it takes place like 30 years in the future and all of the ninja turtles are dead except for one they've all been murdered by the shredder's grandson there's one last turtle who I won't say because it's actually an early twist in the story of they kind of leave it in the dark of like, oh, which turtle is it? But the last turtle, it's basically about his journey to avenge his brothers. And it is incredible. It is very dark, very bloody, very emotional, but also very hopeful in the end. I absolutely love it. And literally, it was so good that I am now reading 
the original comic run, like the 80s comic run, and it is just so good. I am very deep in Turtles lore now, just because of this one comic that got me so back into the brand. So yeah, The Last Ronin, if you have not read it, I highly recommend it. You can get like the graphic novel, which is all five issues. Well, that is a fascinating chapter. I had no awareness of not only The Last Ronin as a story, really, but what you shared about the trajectory of the creators of TMNT and the fact that they were apart for so long and came back together for this story that has some sense of finality sounds yes really engaging. I'm glad that you could kind of educate us about that and share that with us because that's really interesting to me. That is a piece of pop culture that I didn't really grow up watching the cartoon and I didn't really have much exposure to them besides like backpacks at Target all being Teenage Mutant Ninja (laughs) Turtles for some reason. And of course, the train wreck of the live action new ones was like on my radar at least. But (laughs) that arcade game you were talking about was pretty much my entire exposure to it. And I loved every second of it playing it at every bowling alley in Chicago who had it for some reason. Nice. The idea of what The Last Ronin is sounds absolutely fascinating. Would you be excited if they were going to do some kind of film adaptation of this? Or is it is so, this more of a strictly uh, comic book sensation for you? Do you guys know the meme of like, the rapper Birdman where he's rubbing his hands and he's like at the window? Oh, yeah. Seamus, that is me right now. And you said, uh, <laughs> what are your thoughts on a film adaption? I'm, I'm rubbing my hands right now. You can't see me. But. I was looking at this independently of when this information came out. I think the day that I got the last Ronin comic was when they announced this. They actually announced that um, they're doing a video game adaptation of the story. Oh, interesting. um, Yeah. I read this comment. It's funny because we were just talking about Jedi Fallen Order. Because you know each of the turtles has their own weapons. Like Mm -hmm. own distinct weapon. They were like, what if they do the turtle you play as, they have the one weapon. And as the game goes on, you get the other turtle's weapons. And you, like, gain a new skill tree, like, when you get it. And I read that, and I'm like, done. Done. Give it to me right now. Um, (laughs) That sounds amazing to me. Slap on some Batman Arkham-style gameplay, and and you've sold me. Yeah, you're you're good to go. So I'm really excited for that. And uh, obviously, if the game is really good, I really think they should do a movie. I think a live-action movie would be incredible because it would just get so many more eyes on it. I feel a lot of people who grew up with the Turtles who don't know about this comic story would be like into it. So I really hope they do a live action, but odds are they'll probably do an animated one. Even if they did do an animated one, I'd I'd still be happy. Well, I'm definitely going to go out and seek out this comic regardless of whether it's adapted into another medium or not. So Hell yeah. Thank you again for sharing that with us. Oh, of course. Yeah, no. And uh, yeah, if you guys end up reading it, let me know because I'd love to discuss it. Absolutely. But what do you boys say we steep ourselves right back into Star Wars and go to the finale, the season three finale of Mando Bros? Let's do it. I'm ready. Now it's time for Mando Bros where we break down the latest episode of The Mandalorian, Season 3, Episode 8, The Return. Rocky, we of late have just been kind of calling spoilers right off the bat for Mando Bros. It's a lot easier for us to wade through. So I'm going to go ahead and issue a spoiler warning for Season 3 in its entirety of The Mandalorian, especially because right off the bat, I want to ask you 
what your relationship has been with not only the Mandalorian as a whole, but very specifically the kind of turn it has taken in season three and the change in tone that has happened. First thing I want to say is season one and two of Mandalorian are just absolutely bonkers. Garrett, we've talked about this. Like, you see the behind the scenes of it. The amount of love that they put into the Mandalorian, it's like tangible. Like, you can feel the passion in it. I love how simple of a story it is. Like, you have bigger picture stuff with Ahsoka and like with Thrawn and all that stuff. But at its core, it's like a father-son type story. And like, I think... That's why it has appealed to so many people. I've met people who, like, are very casual Star Wars fans. Like, they watched the movies when they were kids, and they watched the sequel trilogy once, like, when they came out in theaters, who were like, yeah, I can't wait for Mando Season 3. Like, I'm going to resubscribe to Disney Plus just for that. It is so exciting to see how much people gravitate to it, and I am one of those people. Like, I think it is pretty much near perfect, Season 1 and 2 specifically, before we get into 3. I feel like Season 1 and 2 are pretty much near perfect, and um, there's a lot that you can learn in terms of storytelling like from those seasons. It's, it's amazing. But now on to Season 3. I loved the two Mando episodes in Book of Boba Fett. But while I did like the reunion of Mando and Grogu, I wish that it was in The Mandalorian. It just would have fit better, you know? And it's just confusing going from season two to season three and they're together again. And it's like, well, you gotta watch two episodes of a separate show. Like, it's just like, what timeline am I living in where that's that's something that you have to do? That being said, season three, I really, really, really enjoyed. It's not perfect. I do not think it's as good as season one and two, but... I think it was very solid. The start and end specifically, I feel, are very high. Everything with Mandalore itself, rebuilding the Mandalorians, Bo-Katan as a character, I think is just very solid. I don't like how much Din Djarin gets sidelined. He's like my favorite character in the show. I mean, he is the Mandalorian after all. But I feel like more of the spotlight went to Bo-Katan and the Mandalorians not the Mandalorian. That was kind of disappointing, but as a whole, it was still very solid. That shot in this finale of Bo-Katan leading the Mandalorians with the Darksaber, <laughs> with the Arborer flying next to her, I was like, I'm done. I'm done. It was incredible. I loved it. Overall, first season, I would give a 9 out of 10, maybe 9.5. Season 2, I'd give a 10 out of 10. It is it is near perfect for me. Interesting. And then season 3, I think I would give like an 8 out of 10. I think it was great some hiccups along the way wasn't a big fan of the episode with jack black and lizzo although i love jack black and lizzo but as a whole really loved the season it's interesting hearing you talk about that rocky because seamus i think you'll probably echo this sentiment a lot of the individual things you said about your mentality about the approach to this season i agreed with i think it's not as good as season one or two it sidelines its main character in interest of mm. characters that are not from this season and i think our difference comes down to how much of that we were willing to tolerate probably because we've got an interesting like one two three here in you are somebody who genuinely enjoyed this season. I think Seamus is somebody who, and I don't want to speak for you, Seamus, uh, you will have your opportunity <laughs> Thank to you, clarify sir. exactly what I say for you <laughs> in a moment. Um, and Seamus is somebody who, who liked this season enough, but was frustrated with its lack of directionality and some other problems that I'll let yep. him elaborate on. I... Really hated this season, Rocky. I will. It's not Book no. of Boba Fett or anything. Garrett, no, <laughs> no, no. 
Uh, okay, go ahead. Go. I'll let me let. I'll let you say it. No, you're, no, it's good. I I I know that a lot of Star Wars fans, you know, and I count myself among them, as you well know. But I know a lot of Star Wars fans really were smitten with this season and liked the expansion of the Mandalorian lore and the Dark Saber and Bo-Katan. I just do not care at all. I think part of it is the fact that this has had to reckon with. This is kind of recap from the things that I've said over the course of the rest of the season, but. I am very frustrated with the fact that this show is clearly three different shows. It's a show that was supposed to be The Mandalorian Season 3. It's a show that is altering itself in the wake of the rushed Book of Boba Fettness of it all that clearly took story turns that should have been reserved for Mandalorian Season 3. And finally, it's trying to fold in the canceled Rangers of the New Republic show, and I think that that just created a really messy, meandering, not satisfying season. Honestly, my take on it, and I was going to kind of save this till we were wrapping up, but I think it's more productive for our conversation if I bring it up now. This season kind of perfectly encapsulates a problem that Star Wars has been having on the whole lately. It is a series refusing to embrace or even really acknowledge the narrative evolution of the chapters that came before it, retreating back into something more familiar while using what I think are frankly cheap storytelling cues to make it feel epic and have finality when it's not following up on the trajectory of the first two chapters of this show like the first and second season have a very clear trajectory yep that the third one completely sidelines and doesn't have any interest in really being the same show and Seamus now I will let you come <laughs> back and, and talk about how I misconstrued your 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 point of view a little bit probably. No, you 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 pretty much got my thoughts spot on. I I did enjoy season 3. I think Looking back on it all together, there are a lot of fun episodes, a lot of fun individual moments within episodes that maybe I didn't love entirely that will keep my spirits high when thinking back about this one. I loved that Dr. Pershing episode. I love the Din Sherlock of that one, like, let's go track down the droids episode. But once I got to the end of this finale here, seeing how rapidly they are fitting in massive things into this finale, there's there are screen wipes that happen so suddenly that I had to, I like physically my body shot back onto the couch. I was like, holy wow, they're giving less than no time for moments that are kind of big in what's happening right now. But they were like, we got to fit everything in that we didn't this season. And by the end of this finale episode, I was like, 90% of what happened in that episode should have been the second episode of this season. <laughs> this finale sets up the third season perfectly in a lot of ways. They, they bring back Moff Gideon in a new threatening way. Love his crazy strong Terminator armor that he yep. brings out there. I'm into that. The idea of these Mando troopers that he's been cultivating and his clone workshop of himself, which is like a weird thing altogether for like a super power, mad, angry, evil guy like Moff Gideon to have. All of that being explored in a full season would have been great. Even the dramatic snapping of the Darksaber, I think it would have been interesting to do a season about like, well... What does it mean now to be the ruler of Mandalore with all of these clans coming together? Yep. But now we've just set up for, you know, the next season or the next 
you know, two mid-season episodes of the Book of Boba Fett Chapter 2 that will come eventually. And while I, there were some things that I found genuinely satisfying about this last episode, I, I you know, God help me, I liked seeing IG-11 waltz back into town as the new sheriff. No, you I, didn't, Shane. I, 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 I was like, words again, again, Garrett, if they had the time to be like, well, th- now this is what this means for IG-11 to be back in a new role, because... They they also sideline him. They set up in the first episode that it's like, all right, maybe this is our quest for a while. And then they BS around with a mech suit for a couple episodes and they haul his carcass around for a minute. And it ultimately ends up with him being the sheriff. But if they got to settle into Din Djarin has land on Navarro and has like counterparts that he can get into trouble with. There's a season of television right there, but it waited until the last episode to set anything up, and so it kind of soured my my thoughts a little bit more about this season. Yeah, Garrett, I'll I'll go back to what you were saying. Um, I'll I'll deal with you later, but um, <laughs> for Seamus, for Seamus, um, no, Seamus, the thing you were saying about like the rushness. I 110% agree with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. The ending, the last like five minutes, you have Mando and Grogu get that land. Mando like officially adopts Grogu. They meet the New Republic person. Like everything from when the day is saved on Mandalore up until the, the credits goes so fast. And then going off of that, what you were saying about how moments needed to breathe, the Darksaber got destroyed. This is a huge deal. Why did that not get more screen time to talk about it? And then you were saying about like the IG-11 stuff felt kind of rushed. There was definitely some behind the scenes stuff, which goes into Garrett, what you were saying, where it's like, it almost feels like three shows mushed into one. So I'm hoping that now that Mando and Grogu are kind of doing their own, I hope season four has a better trajectory or just like episode of the week flavor with an overarching story would be pretty awesome. Like how season one and two did. Garrett, what was like your biggest complaint with the season as a whole? Was it the aimlessness? Because if it's the aimlessness, I I totally get what you mean. It's just for me that I feel like episodes seven and eight really stuck the landing. This is going to sound harsh, but I think it's earned. I think that the storytelling in this season is completely inept. And I think that you highlighted some of those exact moments very well in your own articulation of your relationship with the season. Moments that should have a lot of gravity that the story itself is asking you to be invested in are pushed away without a thought. And it's Mm -hmm. not so much that it's meandering, although that is also a problem, but it's actively shutting down the stakes that it is setting itself up for. So things like the Darksaber, even something like Paz Vizsla, a character I have no affinity for, whose tragic sacrifice is the very end of the penultimate episode of the season, he's not acknowledged in the finale. They don't have a moment where they mourn him or grieve him. His son, who we have spent <laughs> multiple say, episodes with. Garrett, you saying that, like, you could have easily done the armorer pours the water and she's like, yeah. your father would be proud. Like, something, something. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On a broader scale, its storytelling is inept, partially because it is hampered by the fact that the Book of Boba Fett took what should have been the main driving force of season three yes. of Mando and just was like, we're going to do this in two episodes of a show that's really bad. One of my friends, because he watched Mando season one and two, he's like, should I watch Book of Boba Fett? I'm like, yeah, watch episodes five and six. He's like, Rocky, what drugs are you smoking <laughs> that you are telling me to watch two uh, random episodes of a show? And then he sees my brother and he's like, 
hey, your brother is saying that I should watch episode five and six of Boba Fett. Is he telling the truth? And my brother's like, yeah, he's telling the truth. It's <laughs> uh, just like, yeah. as stupid so as it odd. is, when Mando season four comes out and it's so reliant on the the lore, quote unquote, of the book of Boba Fett, it's going <laughs> to... It's going to suck so bad. Seamus can tell you I could go on for a while about this, <laughs> uninterrupted. In a room, alone, talking to no one, Mike unplugged. <laughs> the fact that in the last five minutes of this episode, Mando goes, I will adopt the child for my own. What the crap are you talking about? <laughs> That's what I was you, thinking too. You, one, you've, already, you've been his guardian for several years and even if you want to say you know you were just trying to get him to to luke and he took luke since the book of boba fett what did you think was going on was he your pet (laughs) (laughs) you have been his father since he chose you over training as a jedi end of story i don't care what stupid mandalorian (laughs) you have to go take him on adventures now You've been doing that. What has this season been except for not a series of meandering adventures that you were taking your child on? I I hate it. I hate that. There, there are multiple wow. characters who straight up call him like, oh, where's your boy? Like, everybody else Bo-Katan knows. In Why is- the yeah. finale says, go get your kid. Your so- yeah, like straight oh, yeah. up. yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, damn, I didn't even think about that. Like, Garrett, I know what you're saying, like, I don't care about the Mandalorian tradition. I'm rubbing my hands together like Bird, Birdman. I, I love that Mandalorian culture. So, like, uh, when, they, when he, like, officially adopts him, I liked it. But now you're saying, like, bro, like, he technically was his son this whole like, season. I'm for like, that, so long. That's a very good point. I talked a lot on this podcast during season one of The Mandalorian being like, a show of this caliber cannot work if you have the main character's face hidden the entire time. It can work for a season, but for longevity, it cannot work. Especially because the themes of the show are building towards this idea of, hey, this is zealotry, and you should be able to take your helmet off. Especially so your son, the, the big moment at the end of season two is saying, hey, I have a human connection with my son. I'm going to take my helmet off so that he can see me as a human being and have intimacy with me. God, dude, Garrett, you just saying that, man, like, <sighs> brought, like, oh, I got goosebumps, dude. That, oh, so good. But, yeah, keep And then going. this season, you know, a season of this quality? Fine, he doesn't have to take his helmet because he doesn't take his helmet <laughs> off. This whole so, season, yeah, he doesn't need to take his helmet off because there's no emotional stakes. There's no emotional investment that I have that would warrant him taking his helmet off. So a show of this quality can go on indefinitely without him showing his face. I really thought he was going to take off his mask in the finale. I was very shocked he didn't. I really thought that halfway through the season, once Bo-Katan enters the covert, I was like, okay, this is what's going to happen. She is basically going to lead them and, like, deconstruct the children of the Watch are going to realize, like, hey, like, we're crazy. Like, we hold these values so high that, like, these values that really don't matter to what it means to be a Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. In the very end, like, we're going to see what the armor looks like. But it didn't happen. So that was so weird that the Children of the Watch are essentially still a thing. And especially when Bo-Katan, they're like, you can walk both ways. I'm like, you know who else could walk both ways, maybe? (laughs) Is the Mandalorian the the main character of this show? When that happened, I was just like, oh, so the rules mean literally nothing. Like, any, if you're a little special, then you can maybe take your helmet off maybe whenever you want, and it's fine. If they dove into more of, like, the what does it mean to be an adopted foundling in this covert as an actual child, as the child, as Grogu, 
the Din Grogu. Din Grogu, thank you yeah. very much. Okay. But you know, we didn't get that. We'll we'll maybe see more of that later on. Which I'm on the Ahsoka train now. Mando season four can come out whenever. I'll I'll, I'll jump on Ahsoka. Maybe I'll watch finally the rest of the Bad Batch. I've I've got enough to keep me actually two Bad Batch entertained. Is pretty good. That's I, what I keep I, hearing. I, I only watched the first two episodes of the season, and I did like it, but I just never got around to finishing it. Fun fact for you guys, as Star Wars fans, I think you guys would get a kick out of this. So have you guys ever heard of this documentary called Meet the Patels? I have not. This came out in, like, 2014, I think, and it's about this comedian named Ravi Patel, who is, like, it's basically his quest to, like, find love. It's about him, like, dealing with, like, arranged marriage and, like, meeting, like, Indian women and stuff through his parents. And his sister, Geeta Patel, she directed the documentary. And it's really good, but um, the reason I bring it up is because after that, she's started to direct episodes of TV, and she actually directed an episode of House of the Dragon. Like, a week ago, I had the pleasure of connecting with Geeta Patel. We have friends who, this is such an Indian thing, our friends <laughs> is one of her cousins. So, like, we were talking and, like, they connected me to her. So I had the pleasure of talking with her, and she is actually going to be directing one of the Ahsoka episodes. That's Whoa. awesome, dude. Yeah. That is I crazy. Was, like, I, fa- I, I was reading about it, like, because it, it was announced, like, a week ago, or, like, a couple weeks ago, what who the directors are. So I read that, and then on the call, like, we were, like, wrapping up, like, she was basically, like, giving me advice just about, like, you know, the industry and stuff. And I was like, oh, so I saw you're directing an episode of Ahsoka, like, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. And she's like, oh, yeah, like, I haven't seen the finished cut yet, because obviously she doesn't edit it, right? And she's like, but I'm so excited, it was such a blast. And, like, hearing her say that, I was just like, that is so cool, you know, so... I wanted to share that. No, that's so fun, Rock. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. seriously awesome. That's one of the nice things I can say about this Mando Season 3 finale is I didn't feel like there was any ham-fisted, hey, we're doing Ahsoka now, or anything like that. I was a little, yeah. a little surprised. I'm not going to say disappointed because I don't want to turn my stupid fan brain on. We didn't get some kind of post-credits tease or something, but it really yeah. is like, it's a very succinct, the last 15 minutes feel like a speedrun run of a series finale to me. Yes. It's like, okay, everything's <laughs> in its place, everything's good, and what I'm assuming that means is we just kind of have everybody where they need to be. Boba Fett's off ruling Tatooine. Mando's got his ranch on Navarro. And then when Ahsoka comes in and Thrawn is established as the next big, the, the Thanos threat of this stupid Mandoverse that we're building, we have our Spy Kids 3 call everyone <laughs> moment, and Grogu riding the Mythosaur, or whatever, because that <laughs> didn't go anywhere. Yeah, oh my god. Yeah, uh, I'm hoping that that comes in in season four. Mando says to Grogu, we have to go kill Gideon or this will never end. I'm like, He's not been bothering you at all. <laughs> I think you'd be fine, probably, if you just kind of stayed out of his way. Didn't Jaren didn't know all the stuff that we knew from, you know, listening in on his weird shadow council? He's just been gone for this whole time. I wish Gideon were a character, because it would have been really cool <laughs> to get Giancarlo Esposito on your show and have him play a character. Um, yeah, so I, I too <laughs> wish he was in this season, you know? I mean, it, it could have done a lot. Oh, that is so funny. Let me hit some things I like. R5... Yes! My boy. The siege of the mouse droids. I loved it. <laughs> With their little sirens that I don't think they've ever <laughs> yeah. had before. Which yeah, is that horrible. was so goofy. I loved the little police car mouse droids. I liked Mando turning into John Wick as he was finding his way down down the hallway from episode <laughs> one with all the laser oh, uh, doors. Oh, I was 
I was a big fan of that next door and him just like slaying these dudes. I, I was into that. G- getting a weapon upgrade every door opening. I loved it when they revealed the spies from episodes, the titular spies from episode seven that they totally paid off in this finale and <laughs> brought up and said, hey, yeah, that's um, that's what that was talking about. Sorry, that was mean because I did mean what I said. Until I made no, no, uh, no. I think that's an interesting title for that episode because it didn't really make any sense. I, I also call BS on the very first thing in the finale recap is talking about how Pershing is still alive and captured by the I Republic know. and we didn't see him at all, damn it. I want him to be like a brain-scrambled adult man who's a foundling Mandalorian or something. I, I want something with him, damn it. You want Gilderoy Lockhart, Pershing? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, dude, exactly. Oh, well, much like the sentiments of Jedi Fallen Order, maybe the next one will build on the improvements in a way that will be much more satisfying when we finally get around to Mando Season 4. True. I have faith that Season 4 is going to be good. I also have faith in Ahsoka. And I'm really excited to see what the, the with the whole Mando movie and like what's going on with Thrawn. I think there's a lot to be excited about with the Mando verse. You know, if they pull it through, I'm all all there for. It. I mean, I'm I'm here for it either way. Even if it turns into like a completely unenjoyable show, I'm gonna watch every single episode. But <laughs> I've I've got some faith, like you, Rocky. I think we we have after a full season, we finally have a little bit of setup that they could work with to get a little more adventure. I hope so. That's it for Mando Bros. For the foreseeable future, unless there's a surprise Mando in the third episode of Ahsoka, they're like, hey, Mando, wow, <laughs> oh, true. You rebuilt the Darksaber with the same technology that rebuilt Kylo Ren's helmet? Damn, I Gosh. can't believe that happened. I can't believe that happened off screen. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say we move on over and save the rec center before we fall deeper in it, into more Mandalorian talk? True. I think true. that's wise. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we bring you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, what do you got? Well, I have gotten my hands on a copy of the Resident Evil 4 remake recently, and it is genuinely one of the most stunning games I've played in recent memory. It, It looks it looks beautiful. As an OG fan of Resident Evil 4, that that was my absolute first exposure to the Resident Evil franchise, and I watched my older brother play the whole thing on our PS2 after fully lying to my mother about how brutal that game was so that she would buy it for us. He was like, yeah, you like, he showed her the tutorial level, like the first five minutes and he like shoots a bird. And he's like, yeah, there's like, you shoot animals and sometimes there's like a monster or whatever. And expanding on the brutality of the original, this remake is glorious. It is maybe one of the most faithful remakes I have ever experienced in any way, in, in, in a movie remake, a, a television show, video games, I know exactly what game I'm playing. My muscle memory kicks in for a game that I am playing for the very first time, technically, while still really subverting classic fan expectations. They're really playing with you on certain really small details that the community has, like, globbed onto over the years that are basically memes at this point. And they know that they are, so they they really play with the expectations of the player while still keeping it an incredible survival horror experience. I couldn't recommend it enough, and I just passed the first act, and I'm still so impressed by it that it is my full rec center. I don't know really if it could be 
as much of an entry point into the franchise as the original was, since the original uh, was yeah. so removed from the lore. But as a remake, they really are folding in a lot of stuff that connects back to the retcons that have been in the more recent games. So I don't know if you can go in cold, but I'm screaming on my couch running from monsters that are just <laughs> horrifying, absolutely disgusting, and I could not <laughs> recommend it enough. Yeah, that's awesome. I'll, uh, yeah, I've never played the games. I've always heard good things about them. Rocky, I, I could only recommend you get into the franchise, maybe even specifically to find your way back around to this game. But Garrett, what do you have for the rec center this week? I recently watched a film that I had heard a lot about and seen it on Netflix in Netflix's infancy a lot, but never pulled the trigger on, mostly because I didn't have a lot of context for it. Matthew Vaughn of Kingsman and X-Men fame, his first feature is a gritty English crime film called Layer Cake that I was expecting to be a Guy Ritchie-esque romp of violence and mayhem and turned out to be not only a pretty measured, compelling crime film, but also features its lead, Daniel Craig, in a performance that I do not know how you could view it and not immediately go, yeah, that guy should be the next James Bond. Because it's <laughs> the role that very clearly got him the role of Bond, and he is fantastic in it. He is a shark. His physicality is just so laser-focused in a way that I don't even think fully translates into his turn as Bond. But I loved seeing in this performance great supporting turns from Cole Meany and Tom Hardy, little baby Sally Hawkins and little baby Ben Wishaw also pop up at certain points. So a regular cast of actors that I absolutely adore in a movie that I was genuinely surprised to be as gritty and grounded and measured as it was. I've definitely heard of Layer Cake before, maybe only in the context of Daniel Craig, but you know I'm a Daniel Craigsman, and I, I definitely enjoy seeing him in anything. Even, honestly, especially outside of Bond, I feel like I have most of my fun times with him in in more independent characters. So I, I would definitely check this out. That sounds like a very interesting film. Yeah, I have never seen this movie or heard of it, so um, I just added it to my list. I'll have to check it out. Are you a fan of the Craig Bonds? Because I think it is a very interesting companion piece to those, specifically in addition to being a, a movie worth watching on its own terms. Yeah, I've only seen Casino Royale and uh, Skyfall, and both of which I loved. Yeah, um, good, well, stop. I, Don't watch I was going to say, those <laughs> are the two peak Daniel Craig Bonds. You kind of hit, <laughs> hit them both right away. <laughs> I watched Quantum of Solace as a kid, but I don't remember it, as does everyone else, apparently. Uh, but um... Hell, I watched Quantum of Solace as an adult, and I don't remember it, you know? <laughs> I think you're good to draw the line there, but Layer Cake, that's your third Craig Bond. It's your it's before he was a double O. It's, it's a prequel. It's a prequel. Yeah, hell yeah. That's awesome. But, Rocky, let's loop back around to you to close us out. What do you have for your rec center? Bro, I am so sorry. I was thinking hard I, the last, the last two to three weeks, 
I have pretty much just been consuming Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that's stuff, like, fun. like reading the comics and, like, watching, like, the cartoons, like, um, that's pretty much, like, besides, like, Mando, of course, but, like, any free time I get, that's pretty much what I'm doing. Are, like, what are I'm, you talking like, about, like, the OG 90s Turtles cartoon? No. so the first five episodes of that are essentially, like, the pilot, like, when they started it, they, like, they, like, released, like, the first five episodes, that's kind of, like, an intro of, like, the Turtles and stuff. I watched those, and those were pretty entertaining, but, like, it was more cool as, like, a history lesson than anything else, because, like, it is made for, like, little kids. It was more so, like, oh, this is cool to see, like, where it started, but I wasn't gonna watch the entire thing. But I was happy to watch the intro of it. But I've been re-watching the 2003 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That was the show that I watched when I was young. And that show is actually really close in line with the original comic run. Like, a lot of the storylines are pretty similar. The voice acting is really good. A lot of good emotional moments. So I've been watching that, but obviously I don't remember a lot from when I was a kid. That's fantastic. Well, maybe I need to get back into the Turtles, man. I do like them. <laughs> Read read The Last Ronin, and then you'll, like, if you like that, then I think you're in. But if you're, like... You're like, hey, it was good, but I'm not really, like, too into it. Then you can move on with your life and not get ruined like I have. <laughs> what, Ro- Rocky, where can I find that 2003 cartoon if I do want to ruin my life? Oh, well, I'm, uh, I'm drinking the Paramount Kool-Aid because it's on Paramount <laughs> Plus, baby. Hell yeah, baby. Official sponsor. Oh, no, yeah. that's going to get you in trouble. Oh, no, wait. <laughs> no, 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 not official sponsor, but uh, it is on Paramount Plus. I want to thank you again for coming on the show this week. It is always a pleasure to have you here on Pop Culture Reference. Tell the good people where they can find you. Plug whatever it is that you want to plug, your social media, any other. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's crazy that this is my third time being on the show and uh, love talking with you guys just about random pop culture stuff. You are two guys who I can really feel your excitement for this stuff. And a lot of people I know that I've met here in LA, it's either they're very much into like the movie of the week or the show of the week or like what's hot right now. Or you have the people who are into super artsy stuff. You two are just so unique when it comes to like your interests and what you guys get excited about that I love hearing from you guys. So like keep doing what you guys are doing because you guys are truly like unique guys. Like I I really like what what you guys bring to the table, you know. But going for my uh, where you can find me, um, I guess on Instagram, uh, Rocky Ready Kari, which is... R-O-C-K-Y-R-E-D-D-Y-K-A-R-R-I. That's my Instagram. And then also, I do a YouTube channel with my brother called Culture Cantina. We try to do it in person. So, like, because I'm out here in L.A., it's kind of difficult to do videos. But we did do a top five movies of 2022, which was super fun. Uh, One of my favorite videos that me and my brother have done together. But, uh, yeah, Culture Cantina on YouTube. You can find us. And, yeah, that's pretty much it uh, for me. Thank you thank you guys a lot for having me again. It was a lot of fun. Of course, Raggy. It is always a pleasure to have you on here. Seriously, man. With that incredibly heartfelt, wonderful message, thank you so much, Rocky. I'm blushing over here in front of oh, the of microphone. Course. We're going to wrap up this episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach our show, you can find us on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at PCR underscore podcast. And if you can like us on Facebook, email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. 
like, subscribe, do all the other fun podcasty things that really help the show's engagement. It helps us out a lot. And next week, we are going to be covering, I can't believe we're coming up on it so fast. We are covering Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2 in preparation for Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which is coming out in two weeks. And Seamus, we need to get our tickets, dude. Oh, man, we really do. I, I We literally talked about this last week, and I was like, oh, man, it's coming up. And then immediately sunk back into Guardians 3. That's not coming out for, like, two phases. I'm fine. I don't need to worry about it. Oh, my Lord. Rocky, thank you again for coming on the show. And everybody else, we will see you next week. Thank you, guys. Yeah, have a good, have a good night. Adios, amigos!